This episode of the Policing Matters podcast is sponsored by the Master of Science in Law Enforcement and Public Safety Leadership Program at the University of San Diego. Learn how this nationally ranked online program can help you be a force for change at san diego.edu/slash police one. You're listening to Policing Matters on PoliceOne.com, and I'm your host, Jim Dudley. Well, we have seen a large number of public safety officers leave their career over the past year or so for various reasons. We've seen a generation shift with older command-level people leaving and newer individuals entering the law enforcement workforce. Will we experience a leadership void? Are we doing enough to cultivate the next leaders for our agencies and the profession in general? Well, our guest today has been a leader in the California Highway Patrol, retiring as Assistant Chief of the Patrol Division in Northern California. She is modeled as a leader and has written the book, The Survival Guide to Law Enforcement Promotional Preparation. Johnny Reddick retired as Assistant Chief and 29-year veteran with the California Highway Patrol, where she rose through the ranks from county clerical worker to breaking through the less than 1% ceiling for women of color in executive leadership in law enforcement. Over her career, she worked throughout California holding uniform ranks from officer to assistant chief. She was the first female captain of the Contra Costa CHP area in Martinez, California, where she worked with 18 allied agencies to collectively provide service to an 802 square mile region. Administratively, she's overseen multi-million dollar statewide nationally recognized programs. Well, I've had the pleasure of working with our local CHP in San Francisco, San Francisco Bay Area. And uh, Johnny Reddick, I'm sure we've crossed paths. Welcome to the show. Yes, welcome. Thank you. Uh, I appreciate the great intro. Uh, as an assistant chief, you know, we, we share the load with our chiefs and our division. And so I just want to make sure that people know that uh, I want to give them the credit for carrying the heavier lift, but for us as assistant chiefs, especially working in the Bay Area and some of our um, bigger divisions, it is definitely teamwork. So, but thank you so much for the, you know, wonderful introduction. <laughs> well, well, for sure. And, and well said as a true leader, and you heard my introduction, simply, are we experiencing a leadership crisis in law enforcement? And if not now, are we on the verge of that? You know, I think sometimes when we use certain language, it, uh, you know, creates more of an urgency. If we call things a crisis, we feel like we all need to come together. We need to immediately come up with a solution. But if we actually take a step back and, you know, we pause and take a look at our organization, the health of it, um, you know, the assessment of, you know, our HR and, you know, who's in the pipeline, you know, who's doing the work now, I think we're not in crisis. I think what we need to, to do, though, is we really need to evaluate and assess our talent pool and make sure are we you know, putting them on the right path to be able to be in the position that they need to be for leadership as we look at and we forecast on the landscape, right? So we talk about our strategic planning. We talk about our succession workforce planning, but oftentimes those can be a buzzword, right? They're an exercise in doing the work. But if you actually, you know, do the exercise and you actually apply the work, 
we'd be surprised on the outcomes when we look at the talent that we have that already exists in many of the organizations and agencies. And so um, what I feel like sometimes we don't do uh, well enough is tap people on the shoulder early enough in their career path so that they can know that they have a vision towards something. So for example, when I came on, I was 21 years old. Um, I didn't have a clue about law enforcement. I didn't even have a clue about what having a vision or leadership even looked like. And it wasn't until about my, maybe about my ninth year on as an officer. And I'd already worked in three different commands when I started thinking for myself that I wanted to promote to Sergeant but I didn't have anybody say, hey, you know what? I really see something in you. Have you thought about doing this or that that might prepare you because I think you might be a good supervisor one day? I never had that. What I saw was other people around me promoting and I was like, well, I want to too. And so I endeavored to try to study and do, but I didn't do well. It took me three times to pass the sergeant's test because I didn't have a mentor. I didn't have any kind of study plan. I didn't know what I needed to study. And when I took that first, um, you know, exam and passed is when it really opened up my eyes to start to see kind of what I needed to start doing to vision myself, you know, and prepare myself for my own path. And one of those things was a career development plan. And so if we had leaders in the organization that would start to plant these seeds with younger officers, because we have people coming in who are highly educated, they're coming from other career fields, they're bringing their lived experience into law enforcement, but we don't tap into it. You know, we send them to their basic training. We send them to a field training a program, field training officer. They do their probation, and then we send them out to go do the work of policing, whatever criminal justice agency that you're in. But we need to take time to spend with them and identify some of the talents they bring with them already that we can continue to grow and cultivate and then again, um, I find that a lot of uh, individuals that I work with, they don't have a lot of confidence in their, uh, not their ability necessarily, but they don't necessarily see themselves as being that leader or that they should even, you know, step into the arena. And so there needs to be work to champion your people and to build their leadership acumen and to give them pathways to these places of leadership because I don't believe we're in crisis. I believe that you have this pool of great people. We just need to see them. And I don't think we do that well enough. We often you know, have these circles of silos of trust of people that work around us. And so we'll select the next person that is closest to us and has some of the qualities and you know, maybe they're not great, but they're okay. And we pick them for these positions when in actuality, if we, we really had a process or uh, procedures or things in place that we took seriously, we could cultivate great talent every single day that would be leading this organization for decades. And we wouldn't have to even call something a crisis or worry about it. That's my thoughts. <laughs> yeah, no, it, and you're spot on, I think. Um, yeah, I mean, let's omit crisis and let's talk about the issues that we have in identifying leadership and cultivating it. I mean, well said, you just said that. But uh, we, you've done it organically. We've done it organically in our own separate agencies. But do we do enough in our national organizations, our FOPs, our IACPs, PERF? Should we have some sort of a national program for agencies to follow 
to hit those benchmarks and chronologically have that succession plan uh, in place? Well, we know, you know, we do a lot of uh, research and white papers. (laughs) (laughs) We have a lot of committees and we have a lot of organizations that provide a lot of great information for, you know, law enforcement agencies across the country to find best practices because we know that not every law enforcement agency has standardized practices or are they accredited per se. And so I think you do have big, large associations and organizations that do the very best they can to provide those best practices. But I don't know how many times that I will read something that's occurring and people act like it's brand new. But when you do the research, it's been around for 30 years. You know, there's been a best practices guide that covers, you know, at least 80% of the things we're still talking about. And they're still actually applicable, but we have agencies that don't, I don't know that they don't, but that maybe they're not aware and they think it's a brand new thing, or maybe they forget that the research was done. Hmm. And so you don't always have to reinvent this wheel, but you can take the wheel and now maybe you can look at it and modify it based on modern law enforcement, right? So if it was a research thing done 20 years ago, and a lot of it is applicable, but how do we need to massage that so it's nuanced and fits for today? So you don't have to completely start over. But I think that, you know, if we, if we really stop and take that deeper dive into some of the practices we have, you know, we have a bad habit in law enforcement is we've always done it that way. And it's comfortable, right? Because if it's not broke, we don't necessarily have to fix it. If we have a few issues with it, maybe we'll address it a little bit and it becomes what we used to call the flavor of the day or the month. And then we forget about it. But when we're talking about leadership development and we're talking about this pipeline for success to be able to sustain organizations moving forward, I don't think we have time for that type of attitude anymore. We truly have to invest internally into our you know, HR processes that we have, because that's where it really is. It's in our human resource management of our people, because you have human resource management and then you have managers. They need to work together, right? As we build leaders in the organization. And there's so many ways to do that. And I just think when we take that seriously and we implement those things, I think you'll have better success and results. And so, um, yes, those larger organizations and associations, they're doing the work, but, you know, there has to be action behind what they provide us in an organization. We, the leaders have to then go, ah, okay, let's implement and actually do that. Yeah, absolutely. I think it should be part of the command level officers uh, continuing education program, right? Like it should be on everybody's agenda about, okay, let's set aside an hour or two to identify our organization's next leaders. And so that's the maybe 20, 30,000 foot level view of succession and promotion, but uh, shifting a little bit to, you wrote a book, The Survival Guide to Law Enforcement Promotional Preparation, and that's part of leadership. What's your advice for individuals that are thinking about promoting? Uh, At one point, you're talking about your five keys, and they're a good start, including self-assessment and creating a roadmap. What should somebody thinking about six months away from a promotional exam, what should, what should their priorities be? Well, if you're thinking about promoting and you're six months out, um, I would say now you're 
kind of in this um, this zone of uh, you know hurry up and study. <laughs> but if you're actually thinking about promotion and the examination is further away, then that's different. But promotion to me is it's a couple of things, but I didn't learn it right away. Um, you know, I saw promotion as not necessarily leadership when I was you know my first rank. I saw it as something to be able to have maybe influence to help other people, but I didn't understand what leadership was as a part of the component of my promotion. I had to develop that over time. And a lot of that is sometimes your experience, but then it also becomes about your knowledge and your competency and how you apply that um, and how you, you know, you become a continual learner. So when you're thinking about promotion, the part of that assessment that I ask people to do, because it's from my own personal lens in which I wanted to write that survival guide because promotion is about surviving because once you get on that promotional pathway and that journey, it is emotional. It is exhausting. It's physically exhausting. It's mentally exhausting. It's spiritually exhausting because you're no longer just responsible for yourself. You are responsible for other people and other people have families and lives. And then you're also responsible to the community and the stakeholders. And then you're responsible to the organization because everything you do or your people do is a reflection, right? And so you're carrying the weight of all that. So that assessment that I, I tell people to do when they're thinking about promotion is, are you ready? <laughs> are you really ready for all of that? Because I'm not saying you're not. But you need to make sure because it's not because of the pay that you're going to get increased for why you should promote. It should be really about are you ready and are you prepared to lead? Because that's what's going to be required of you. And so when you're short term looking out, take a look at what have you been doing so far in your own career? Have you been mediocre? Because when I looked around, I thought I was ready to promote. But when I looked around at myself, I was pretty mediocre. I was just doing the job, right? And that's okay. But for me, I was like, man, I want to be able to do the job well enough that when I'm leading other people, I can actually help them <laughs> be better than mediocre, right? Because, you know, I don't know, when we're doing a good job, it feels good. When we're doing stuff for other people, it's rewarding. It's this uh, kind of reciprocity that happens. And so really assess yourself to say, you know, are you ready to lead? And if there's gaps, if there's blind spots in the things you've been doing and you have time, feel them. If you see things that you're not a part of, and you probably should be like, are you doing, you know, community um, outreach activities? Are you just going out and doing your daily job every day? And are you complaining about it? So do you have the right mindset? Are you modeling the right type of um, leader? Are you uh, connecting in a network of folks to be helpful, but to also grow yourself? Are you a contributor in your organization beyond daily activities? You know, and then when you're talking about the exam itself, do you even know what to study <laughs> and how to study? Because a lot of times exam processes are um, cumbersome. They have lots of policy and manuals that you need to do for a written test, right? And that can be overwhelming. There's an oral panel. When's the last time you had to speak in front of somebody and answer questions and tell them about yourself and how great you are and the fact that you have knowledge and skill to apply to the question? You know, what if there's a written component? When's the last you wrote, you know, last time you wrote something that wasn't a report? 
<laughs> and so when you're thinking about promotion, you need to start stirring up all of this assessment of your inventory and, you know, how well are you prepared, you know, for the actual exam portion. And then I always tell people go in it to win it. So what happens when you promote, they say, Hey, you have passed, you are on the list. And now we're going to offer you a job that becomes a whole nother thing. And are you ready for that? Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, those are things that I would recommend for somebody thinking about promotion. Yeah. So not just promoting through, uh, succeeding on the exam, but really getting in the right mindset. That's really good advice. And across the country, um, we've got so many different individual types of exams. Mm -hmm. Are we making the process part of the exam? I say that because as having been, uh, on the the group uh, taking the knowledge, skills, and abilities and applying them to a test, our own individual tests in San Francisco. And I think sometimes it's unfair to the candidates that they've got to like study for the exam, not what's on the exam, but how to separate the components and things like that. Um, how should the candidate prepare um, for the individual, say the announcement comes out. So say they are capable, say they, they have taken those steps that you just described. They got mentally ready. They started doing the job as best they could. And now they get this, you know, 20 page manual saying, this is the test. Um, is somebody getting ahead of the game by just hunkering down and taking it apart themselves? Should they get in a study group? Should they hire an outside consultant? What do you think is the best tact for them? So when I'm, um, so I did study groups for, because I didn't have a study group, right? I told you I didn't have any mentoring. I didn't have any of that. So once I promoted and for my lieutenant's exam, I found a study group and I really liked the model and that particular captain that did it was just very disciplined and very structured. And I really needed that because I was, you know, um, working the field. I was working graveyards. I had two small children. My husband at the time was working with the local police department. And so I needed the discipline and structure in order to get the study in. So when I passed the sergeant, I did that study group and I went from, so I took me three times on the sergeant, right, to pass. And on that third one, I was 123 out of 125. That's barely making the list. We had a numbered list back then. For her lieutenant study group, I went from being uh, near the bottom to halfway. And that was out of a list of 45. So now I'm in the 20s, right? And so I decided I wanted to do study groups for my people in my command. And I modeled them after that. And then I refined them over and over. And it became more like people were coming to a class, like they were coming to a college class, bring your highlighters, bring your notebooks. We're going to take quizzes. We're going to do outlines, but we're also going to have conversation and be prepared or don't show up in my study group. And I don't mean to say that to be like me, but it was about being serious. If you're serious, you're going to show up in the right way, right? Because how we show up matters. And that's what I did. I repeated that model. I grew my sergeants and lieutenants under me to be able to deliver the same model. And I will tell you, it was very successful. We had officers that had been in the field trying to pass the sergeant's test for a very long time. And they were frustrated because they have to work and they have families and they have to commute, but they needed the discipline and the structure, right? And to help them to identify where to focus. And so I would tell people who are you know, embarking on the actual examination process to find that. 
I don't know what that looks like for you, but that's what you need to find. You need to know, you know, for example, um, we would do a schedule like, you know, there's over a hundred manuals for people in the higher patrol, but, you know, so if we had eight to 10 week um, examination cycle, we carve out and prioritize what manuals to go through and to focus specifically on the rank that is for you. If you are going for a supervisor, look at supervisor stuff. If you're going for a lieutenant or a lieutenant equivalent, look at lieutenant stuff. And that is for the written. And you need to have that study discipline pattern of how you're going to study stack your material and create outlines, create quiz questions. And every week you're gonna be you know, studying carve out how many hours in the day. If you say you're going to do two hours, don't do two hours straight because nobody can focus for two hours straight, right? So do micro sessions. If you got 20 minutes in the morning, 20 minutes in your lunch, and you can do the other hour later in the evening when you're not exhausted, break it up and do that. Record yourself, use quiz apps. There's a lot of technology that's helpful out there. And you can, you know, do that on your mobile device while you have downtime, right? This is all a repeated pattern to help those um, questions kind of jump off the page when you actually hit the test, right? And then when you're preparing for your oral panel interviews, this becomes about getting comfortable with yourself. You still need to have the knowledge and information um, from your policy, but you also need to be confident, you need to be comfortable, and you need to have a structured way in which you're going to deliver your information. So I tell people to prepare prepare using mental mapping um, or have acronyms that you can use. I mean, I talk about all this in the survival guide and give, you know, some um, kind of prompts and questions for you to practice with. Record yourself visually, record yourself audibly and get comfortable with talking, but be concise. Don't be fluffy. You know, fluff is the stuff we put in when we don't know what we're supposed to be saying. <laughs> but if we study and we're prepared, then we will perform the way we prepare. I believe that. And I also tell people get help from your senior leaders. If that's, if you're a supervisor or an officer going for supervisor, ask a sergeant or a lieutenant, what are the focuses? What is the hot topics for right now? What is important to the chief? You know, what is important to the police commissioner? I want to make sure I'm on, you know, I'm paying attention to that because that will be, you know, in your oral panels. Mm -hmm. If you're on assessment centers and you have that process, you know, you want to know what's going to be in your assessment center. Are you going to have role playing? Are you going to have to do a presentation? But your delivery can all be the same. If you mind map and you have an acronym and you have an approach, you can approach all of that very similarly. And when you, just like we train for anything else, it makes us comfortable in our interactions and how we do our job. It's the same thing when we study for um, our examinations. When we study and prepare, we're going to show up. And then, you know, they should look at doing mock interviews, even if they're with family, or maybe you can find some people at the department that are a rank or so above you, somebody to make you feel uncomfortable because you want to feel that uh, physiological experience to know how you're going to respond. Because I feel so bad when people come and sit in front of me and they just start, they lock up, their throat would become so dry, they can't speak, they begin sweating profusely, then they begin to panic. And you, you know, you're trying to calm them down, because we're not here to harm you, we want you to come in and be successful, right. But the candidates don't know that. So if you haven't prepared in all those aspects, um, then you should. And those are things you might want to think about uh, for the exam. Yeah, for sure. Good words of advice. And I know exactly sitting on panel panels, what you're talking about, um, you know, when, with a candidate sitting there, 
tongue-tied, sweating, so nervous they can't answer the questions. That's that's really good advice. Hey, I'd like to talk a little bit more about the distinction between leadership and promotionals because they're not mutually exclusive, um, but they're not uh, independent either. So I want to talk about that, but first I'd like to take a moment and thank our sponsor. Do you want to be a better leader? Who doesn't, right? The University of San Diego has created an incredible online master's degree specifically for law enforcement professionals. The Master of Science in Law Enforcement and Public Safety Leadership Program was developed by law enforcement for law enforcement, and it's consistently ranked as one of the best online programs in the country. Whether you're preparing for promotion or simply want to be the best leader you can be, the MS. LEPSOL program will help you be a force for change, affordable, online, and endorsed by law enforcement. Learn more at sandiego.edu slash police one. And we're back and I'm speaking with Chief Johnny Reddick, author and law enforcement leader. She wrote the Survival Guide to Law Enforcement Promotional Preparation. We've been talking about promotionals and what to do, study tips and things like that. But Chief, um, we talked about leadership and promotion. That's not necessarily for everyone. I know we both know about respective, respected people in patrol ranks that are just happy to be in those patrol ranks, but they're leaders too. Um, what about them? How do we carve out positions or leadership roles for those people in our, in our um, agencies? Yeah, no, I think that's important for us to emphasize. And it goes back to earlier when I was, you know, talking about how we're building our pipeline and succession is to fill those vacancies that we might have. And we often really focus on the vacancies of leadership positions um, by title, right? But leadership is throughout the organization. It's every single employee that comes to make the machine work are leaders, but we forget to remind our people that they are right. Cause we, you know, we can be distracted. It's not intentional. You know, we get distracted and we get focused on certain things. But what I find is that we have so many specialty positions um, in law enforcement organizations that those require um, leadership, leadership at a higher level. It doesn't necessarily mean I take on a rank of a supervisor above, but I need people who are willing to lead their teams right daily. And so when we're considering that leadership development, um, look around your organization. And if you don't have leadership development programs for every employee, then you should. Leadership development should not start at the supervisory level. And, and I just say that because most of them do. You get, when you promote the supervisor, you get supervisor's training. You can go to our Peace Officer Standards and Training Commission and get Supervisory Leadership Institute. You can go to different institutes. You know, when you get into management, you can get even more uh, leadership training by, you know, going to FBI, NIA, you can go to, you know, all these other things. But what about the rest of the employees in your organization? Um, we know that they can do out service training, but oftentimes that's a selection process. But what program do you have in your organization that builds leadership acumen in your people at every level? And so when we're talking about, you know, uh, employees who don't desire to necessarily promote, I commend you because you know exactly what you want to do. 
you know exactly where your zone of genius is. You know, that's a phrase used by um, Gay Hendricks from The Big Leap. You know, when we find that place of passion that we enjoy, keep doing that. And sometimes for leaders, it's hard for us to understand why somebody doesn't want to promote and we've asked them and encouraged them. But you know what? We need to take a, you know, a tip or two from them to find, you know, what works for people and what works for the organization may not look like we want it to look, but this is a place for us to lean in and we can leverage that, right? And we can support that and encourage that. And that just creates better motivation, morale, job satisfaction, performance, productivity, retention, right? If we, we look at those challenges and issues that we're having in organizations right now, again, I keep saying it because it's so really fundamental, but if we really do take a step back and look at the pathways that we're creating for all of our employees and how we're developing them and how we're communicating and engaging with them, it's just transcends so much of the stuff that we think that we need to, um, I don't know, reach outside the organization to find an answer for, and then check the box to say we provided a training or check the box we provided this, this thing. And actually we have the talent and we have what we need to be able to do it internally in organizations. I believe that. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, you talked earlier about mentorship and I mean, those officers, uh, maybe the lifers who are leaders at the patrol level, they don't realize it, but they are mentors. And so when you, you said you took your first couple of tests and you didn't have a mentor, well, clearly you are a mentor. How did you finally choose one? What were you looking for? So mentorship is significant because mentors, mentors are those ones that kind of guide us, uh, inspire us. They, they are our champions. They, you know, help build us up, but they also give us the real talk we need sometimes. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I also like to differentiate between mentors, um, coaches and sponsors. So people don't realize those are three very different things. So, as I said, mentors inspire, encourage, they advise you. But if you think about any coach that you've had, if you're an athlete, I played basketball for many years. And so when you think about a coach, they give you discipline, right? There's consequences um, to the things that you don't do if you don't do well. Um, but also they give you goals and their follow-ups and checkups and they push you. They constantly push you. And then a sponsor is somebody who is a leader or um, an advocate for you at tables that you don't get to be at just yet. Hmm. They're looking out for you to say, you know what? Hey, I know that Johnny Reddick, she would be really good for this assignment or position. And nobody at the table is maybe thinking about Johnny Reddick, but my sponsor is thinking about Johnny Reddick. And so I tell people to identify all three of those for yourself. And they will change throughout your career on who they might look like and what they might be able to offer you. And for me, I didn't have those right away, but I also had, you know, um, <laughs> I was a little bit like, you know, pushy sometimes. So I would approach people if I saw their leadership and what they were doing, or I sat in a meeting and I was like, man, that was pretty cool. I'd go up and introduce myself, let people see you. A lot of times we'll go to something and then we'll shrink out of the meeting or the conference or whatever, and we'll leave go introduce yourself, especially if they're in your organization and they don't know you, go up and meet them. And then if you're at places where there are other leaders from other organizations, you never know who you're gonna come across, just go up and introduce yourself. And if there was something that you liked, say, I really appreciated what you said about whatever. And if they're willing to exchange a contact number, you know, take it a step further and do that. And now you have these mentors. 
But I remember I had a, uh, he was an assistant chief at the time. And I think I was a lieutenant and I wanted to be a chief. I had done a career development plan, which a lot of people don't know they have in their organizations, but you have something like that, whether it's an individual development plan or leadership development plan, and you can put what your goals, your activities, what you want to achieve, training, education, positions you wish to acquire over a vision, right? Over this plan. And I wanted to be a chief uh, at the time because I was a lieutenant. And so I reached out to him to ask if he would mentor me. He was not very comfortable with that. You got to remember women in law enforcement were very much, uh, you know, a minority, were underrepresented. And so he was kind. Uh, he hesitated. But what he did become was a sponsor for me because he also didn't have time to mentor me. He was busy. Right. But he could sponsor me. And I started getting, you know, special assignments where I had to do investigations or I could be on a committee. Um, and so you have to be uh, your own best advocate and go out and take that initiative. And so, again, mentors, coaches and sponsors, very different. And they'll all look different for you based on where you are in your career. Yeah. Good advice. Good advice, especially for those that are so good that everybody's trying to tap them to be their yes. mentor. And so how did you become a mentor? Same way people just approached you and where did you see that sparkle in some and, and seek them out? How'd that work for you? So it's a little bit of both, you know, um, because I just, I don't know, I'm a people person. So when I was, when I first came on, I'll be quite honest and transparent. Uh, I was selfish. I was a selfish officer. I was, you know, young, you know, you come out and you, you start to get the hang of the job, you get cocky and, you know, you're just doing all you're doing. You're very self-centered. And then um, I had my first child and I realized I couldn't be too self-centered anymore. I'm like, oh my God, I have this little person I have to pay attention to. And then um, when I became a supervisor, when I started doing acting time before I actually promoted to being a sergeant, and that was that opportunity to practice, <laughs> to see if I wanted to be before I became, I realized how important it was, um, you know, again, how I see my people and how I show up for them. And so checking in on people and learning a little bit about them, it becomes really authentic and organic on how you mentor. It doesn't have to be this hard mentorship, like, hey, I'm going to come in. I want to mentor you. It's more you see what their need is and you try to help fill that for them or help get them where they desire to go by helping to shape the path, maybe change the environment for them, um, whatever that may look like. And um, so, yeah, so for me, it became like that, almost like a mission for me, having purpose. Mm -hmm. And then of course, people reached out to me all the time. Hey, chief, do you got time? Hey, captain, do you got time? Hey, lieutenant, do you have time? And making time is, uh, it's one of those things when you do, you have to be very intentional. Don't make time because you feel like, yeah, okay, I got time. Make real time for people be, you know, intentionally engaged, shut off all the distractions, give them the 15, 20, 30 minutes that they need of your time, because I will tell you that it's priceless. And, and here's a comment that one of my um, individuals made to me, this was years ago, that they said, you know, I just wanted to come back and thank you so much for the time you gave me and how you helped me uh, prepare for a promotional exam. And I said, well, absolutely, you are so welcome. And they were like, no, you don't understand you changed the quality of life for my family, not just for me, but for my family. So when we think about what we um, speak into other people, man, it is exponential. So be careful what you're speaking into your people 
right? Invest in them wisely and give them your time. Nice. Well, it's nice that you got some gratitude back for, for the giving that you do without expecting it. Yeah. You know, I, I know you did a, a webinar recently. Can you tell us about that and, and tell us about what you're writing these days? Uh, yeah, absolutely. So uh, the webinar, I, the, are you referring to the Justice Clearinghouse yeah. Uh, webinar? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the Justice Clearinghouse webinar, I've done a couple of those. So um, one was on promotional, you know, getting ready for promotional readiness. Another one was on um, the five things you need to uh, for a leader during turbulent times. And then we have a couple more that are coming up for Justice Clearinghouse on, you know, habits you need to break in order to be successful. And then also, we're going to do one later in the year, and you can go to the Justice Clearinghouse web, website for those, but um, on you've promoted day one to 365. So I'm going to give leaders things to think about um, in their leadership, uh, you know, as they promote. And um, I know we did the five things for Police One article also, where we talked about those things that uh, leaders need to think about in their leadership, you know, whether it's uh, emotional intelligence and, you know, those things. And so you know, they're all relevant, but they all, to me, center around this core of behavior in our leaders on, you know, just being truly authentic to who you are, because I believe who you are is how you lead. Mm-hmm. And we have to embrace all of who we are. And that was my whole leadership journey. When you talk about what I've, you know, what I've written and what I'm writing, it's really from my lens of all my mistakes, <laughs> all of the things that maybe didn't go right, but also my brokenness and vulnerability through losses, um, through difficult times. I mean, you know, we know our law enforcement officers experienced cumulative trauma. It did not bypass me at all. I've experienced that. I still experience some, um, you know, extended things from that health wise. And so I try to speak on understanding who we are and how we can um, push past some of those uh, difficult times, moments and pain to be reflective and to be better. You know, when we know better, we do better, or we, at least we need to try to do better. And so that's what my leadership journey has really been about is imperfections, um, but that's okay. Uh, I'm still worthy. I can still show up and I can still be there for my people. And I think as leaders, we don't give ourselves enough grace to say that we can be broken and imperfect and still be able to show up. And it's been really difficult because there's been a lot of police suicides um, that have happened recently. And I know we experience depression and all kinds of things at a higher rate than general population. And so when I write or when I speak, I speak from this true place of authenticity and vulnerability so that people can know that um, you're not alone, And to some level, we all experience some very um, difficult things that are embarrassing or shameful and that we carry them around. But if we speak about them and we put them into the light, sometimes we can let other people be seen as well. And that way we can help one another. So those are the things that I'm kind of working on and, and cultivating. Well, thank you. Thanks for saying that. Thanks for spending time with us today and your leadership during your time with the California Highway Patrol and, and continuing post-retirement uh, with sharing for, for those still in the profession and helping them succeed. Uh, really appreciate your time and, and your service. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Oh, great to have you. And we are posting your 
uh, book link at the bottom of our show notes. It is the Survival Guide to Law Enforcement Promotional Preparation. Uh, check out the Justice Clearinghouse for uh, Chief Johnny Reddick's other um, webinars on uh, doing the job, taking care of yourself, succeeding in your agency. And to our listeners, thanks for listening. I hope you found today's show enjoyable and interesting, and we'd love to hear from you. If you get a chance, drop me an email at policingmatters at policeone.com. That's policingmatters at policeone.com. Thanks. Stay safe. Take good care. And uh, I'll be talking with you real soon.